How's everybody doing this morning? Anybody else want to preach? Well, we had a lot of hits on the website last week. I hope that if you weren't here with us, you were able to perhaps listen so you can catch up with us this morning. We're still going to be in the second epistle of Peter, chapter 1. Second epistle of Peter, chapter 1. This is a two-part uh, series. I don't normally do series, but the, the notes were so long that uh, I got about halfway through and said, yeah, that's about all they could take. So this is the other half of that, all right? So, but I'm going to give you just a kind of a brief, brief overview of what we did last week. If you remember in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, Simon Peter, servant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who, call, who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter is very um, serious about our growth in our knowledge of God. We talked about that last week. We talked about the different aspects of, let me go back to my notes. I thought I was done with that, but I wasn't. We talked about our nature, we talked about our body, we talked about our soul, and we talked about our spirit. The body allows us to interact with our outside world, right? Through our five senses. Our soul is essentially who we are, makes up who we are. And when the body passes, the soul remains. And the soul, the body only exists because the soul allows it to exist. And, and therein, when the body gets worn out, it dies off. And the soul remains forever. And our soul is made up, if you remember, our mind, what we think, our emotions, how we feel, and our will, the decisions that we make. Okay? And our bodies are decaying, but our souls live forever. So those are some of the things we kind of touched, touched on in those first four verses but the Apostle Peter is big on growing in the knowledge of God. And Peter is passionate about our growth. In fact, he says in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That's from 1 Peter 2, 2. 2 Peter 3, 18. Same guy. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Nothing more illustrates His passion or this process more than 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-9, through 9, which is where we're at. The previous two verses were just other areas where He talks about us and the importance of growing in the knowledge of God, just like infants needing more than just milk at some point in time. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight, you don't need to turn there. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight also reminds us, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency 
in all things at all times you may abound in every good work and we talked last week that god doesn't want to just add to your faith doesn't want to just add to your grace doesn't want to just add to your walk in this walk of salvation but he wants to give you a multitude of grace he wants to multiply not just add to what you already have like i said Five plus five is 10, but five times five is 25. So God wants to give you way more and abundantly more than you probably can even imagine. And very important as I continue this sermon that you understand the audience. The audience is born-again people. Christians. He's speaking to Christians. So we're less concerned today about reaching the law, so that's always an issue, right? But He's speaking and he's wanting to develop our knowledge, my knowledge, your knowledge, a deeper understanding, an experiential experience, an experiential understanding of God. In the practical world, how can I have more knowledge of God? How can I experience Him? And as we said, we saw last week, it's through this divine nature that we're given. So let me give you a, a brief summary again. Not so much a summary as I jump into the sermon now. We all have corrupt souls. That which is our essential essence is our, our soul. Some of us were raised in nice homes over the years. Weren't exposed to any evil things and our soul may not be quite as corrupt. We may be one of the better souls. Some were raised in an evil horrible home and horrible conditions and their souls are even more corrupt but the regardless of whether you have a good soul or a bad soul they're all corrupt they're all they're just it's corrupted by what sin by sin yeah and the soul the mind the body or excuse me the mind and the, the emotions and the will tells our body what to do well, if the soul's corrupt, then the body does corrupt things. That's why the Bible talks about um, setting the flesh aside. The old is gone, the new has come. We have many scriptures that remind us of that. The old man, that we're all uh, born into iniquity, we're all born into sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. This is what it's talking about. We all have corrupt souls. And if you remember what I said last week, that is unfortunate because that means you cannot trust you. You can't trust you. I can't trust me. I hate to say that, but... So Peter's trying to show us how can we actually, as born-again Christians now, as we're walking with God, how can we experience true godliness? How can we experience this divine nature? So what happens is we have this body, we have this soul, but the other part of us is our very essence that, that's really screwed up that, we, that needs the help is the spirit. So you have the body, the soul, and the spirit. And the spirit that you and I were born with was corrupted. It was... It was uh, it's covered up. It's, 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 it's not able to communicate with God because of the sin in which we were born, because of the original sin. Let me explain. So you have a satellite TV, and uh, if you've ever had one, you know if it gets snow on the dish, then the snow covers up the signal. The signal can't get to the TV, and you can't see the picture, so it disrupts the communication like that. You and I have a covering over our spirit when we were born that doesn't allow us to communicate with God as such. And that's very simplistic. So what does God do? God in, uh, he, he, find the right word. He interrupts our spirit with his spirit. He quickens 
our spirit. We could talk a whole other sermon about how that happens. How do we call on God? How does God call on us? But here for sure I can tell you this, that every person that calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. When that happens, when our spirit is quickened, when there is that for a period of time an uncovering and God says, you're mine, or you say, I want you, God. God, come into my life. That snow on the satellite dish is uncovered. Now you're receiving the signal. Now God's spirit can come in. And that's what we call the divine nature. His Holy Spirit now comes and resides in you. All of God is now in you. His divine holiness, His divine nature, the very seed of God is in you. All that you're going to be, all that you can be, all that you thought you could be, all that God intends you to be is already in you. Now the question today is, as we get to the seven things that we're going to talk about, how do I, Pastor, how do I, as a Christian, I'm a Christian now, how do I tap into that? If I've already got it, I've got all this power, I've got all this divine nature, I'm, I've been 10, 20, 30 years as a Christian, I'm still failing, I still don't feel like a good Christian. Listen, because feelings don't have anything to do with it. Feelings are part of the soul. And when God gave you his spirit, here's what happened. He gave you a new spirit. He gave you a new spirit. Now listen, here's the teaching point, okay? He gave you a new spirit, but he did not give you a new soul. Remember I said, as you're growing, so those of us were raised in nice homes, have a nicer, less messed up soul, but we still need to be born again. We still need a new spirit. Some of us are raised in horrible situations. Our spirit, our, our soul is not so good, still needs to be saved. But everybody has a spirit that is corrupt. And when the spirit is corrupt, because the spirit speaks to the soul, the soul then tells the body what to do. Okay? So what happens is when you're born again, at that moment that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your spirit is saved. God has saved your spirit, the very essence of who you are, the very... The, the, the culmination of who you are, your body and your soul and your spirit. So your spirit feeds your soul and your soul feeds your body. Okay? So now, now as a Christian, you have this new spirit. The Holy Spirit has come in. I've been saved. We call that being born again, receiving of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> and through that process, our soul begins to get its information from the spirit. This is why we struggle with doing the things that we don't want to do and not doing the things we know we should do because we still have the same soul. It's just now have been fed information from the divine nature of God rather than just the world. Now we have a choice. We can allow God. God is in you as a born-again Christian. God's Spirit is speaking to you. Now we have that freedom. All right, We've been released of the bondage of sin. God is speaking to us, giving us His divine nature. It's like this. When Mother Mary got pregnant, the Holy Spirit okay, penetrated the egg. The egg then developed into an embryo, and the embryo developed into a, a man-child. Had all the attributes of man and all the attributes of God because that seed that penetrated was the Holy Spirit not of this world, not of man, but of God. 
So here you have a baby that needs milk from its mother, but also is the same God that made the milk and made the mother. Here you have a, a little boy, a little a man named Jesus, who gets thirsty just like a man, but he'd also walk on water and stop the seas and turn water into wine. Here you have a man that he's a, a God that gets hungry, but he could take fish and make all kinds of fish sandwiches for five or six, seven thousand people and have left over. So Jesus was fully divine and fully man. <coughs> and notice, I want you to let's see. Uh, let's see if I'm ready for that scripture yet. Yeah, I think I have it here. I didn't highlight it. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ah, I changed the way I was. Oh, there it is. First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-three. First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-three. Turn to it. I want you to see it for yourself. First Peter, just that's just next book back, right? First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-three. Since you have been born again, and here it is. Not of perishable, here it is, seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So you have been given a seed. You've been given this divine nature, just like the Holy Spirit penetrated the womb, penetrated the egg. The Holy Spirit of God has penetrated you. You might think, well, that's good for Jesus. How is that good for me? It's wonderful for you. Because now you have all the divine attributes and nature and everything you need to walk, talk, act, and be like God. You're not God, but we call that sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And we struggle with that our entire lives, follow me, our entire lives. Why? Because you have this divine nature, this Holy Spirit now, that is telling your soul what to do. And your soul, because it was so corrupt all those years, says, I don't know if I want to do that. That's not what I'm used to thinking. That's not, what the, that's not the decisions I'm used to making. That's not the way I'm used to feeling. Those aren't the things I necessarily want to do. So our, our souls are the old man, the old seed. The flesh struggles with the spirit. But you're still saved. Okay? That's who Peter's talking to. You and me. New and old Christians alike say, how do we We've got everything we need in the seed, the divine nature, which is what we studied last week, so I can't go back and give you that whole sermon. He's given us his divine nature. We see that in verse 3. As his divine power has... I'm back in 2 Peter. I'll stay here. 2 Peter chapter 1. As his divine power has given to us all things, not some things, not a few things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. By which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these, listen, through these, through what? Through these promises, through this divine nature, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, listen, the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's talking about the corruption, the souls. You've escaped that. You no longer have to live a corrupt life. You no longer have to make those decisions. Will you, be, will you, will you still be tempted to do some of those things? Absolutely. 
And if you're sitting there today, and you're bold enough to tell me you don't struggle with some old sins, I can tell you right now, you're struggling with one sin. That's lying. I'm not suggesting sin is a good thing, but I am. More as sin abounds, grace abounds more. As we sin, God's grace abounds more. So, Peter is passionate and says, okay, so you've been given this divine nature. And in many places throughout the Bible, it's referred to as a seed. So, what do we have to do? You have to develop the seed. You have to nurture the seed. You have, to, you have to develop it. And this is where Peter gets into the next, he tells us, seven things that we can do to experience God at a much fuller and functional level and be more like Christ. He gives us seven characteristics. Fruitful growth in the faith. So he says in verse 5, here we go, seven things that will grow your seed because the seed is not perishable but is imperishable. So he says, with all diligence, for this reason, giving all diligence, stop there for a minute. What does that mean? What he's getting ready to say is this. It's deadly serious. He says, I need you with all utmost seriousness, listen to what I'm about to say. With all Diligence with all your knowledge, with all your attention. Put away your cell phone. Wake up from your nap. Pay attention to what. Don't pay attention to what scripture uh, translation you're reading. But by all diligence, pay attention to what I'm going to say. Not me, what God is going to say. Because what I'm about to say is very important, so that you can grow this seed, so you can understand how to get the, how you can take what you already have in you and grow it. So for this very reason, giving, verse 5, all diligence add to your faith, first thing, virtue. Virtue. Now what is virtue? Some of your translations say moral excellence. Okay? Virtue is moral excellence. So the first thing is to live with moral excellence. Well, duh, isn't that what I'm trying to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. But here's more so. So what does it mean, virtue? Virtue literally means giving something, okay, what it needs to fulfill what it was designed to do. Giving something what it needs so that it can do what it was designed to do. Now, that you're saved, okay, you have to work on Moral excellence. When you plant a seed, okay, the crop is giving what it needs to grow. The crop, when you go out the farmers, they plant their seeds. That crop is nurtured, is taken care of, is fertilized, is tilled, is watered, it's whatever it takes. That seed has to be taken care of. That's what virtue is. It's giving that seed now that you have in you, okay, the divine nature that you have in you, you've got to nourish it. You've got to water it. You've got to feed it. All right? So when he says the very first thing is, with all diligence, live a life of virtue, moral excellence. 
we read about the seed, Peter reminds us this is what we need to add to get the seed to grow. What we need to add to get the seed to grow. The spiritual DNA seed needs more excellence. The spiritual DNA seed that you received from God when you received his spirit needs to be fed. Now, I could give you many, many examples. We could stop right there and give a whole new sermon, right? It goes from the songs you're listening to to the TV you're listening to, the people you're hanging out with, the amount of time you spend in God's Word, all these things. You know, you're not going to hear from Peter about how many times did you go to church, how many times did you go to Sunday school, how much money did you give, how many times did you pray, what community activities you need. He doesn't talk about that. He's, he's not talking about trying to develop your soul he wants to completely transform your soul he wants to transform your soul the bible tells us to transform our minds right to stop and think about what we're thinking about so the very first thing is as a christian we have to we have to accept the fact that to grow the seed we need to act more like god hey that's that's just i mean i okay okay well and I said, well, that sounds silly. I mean, that's what I've been trying to do. No, 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 you haven't. What have you been listening to? What have you been watching? What have you been doing? Who do you hang out with? All these things. Are you really, or do you have a cognitive awareness that you are called by choice? God's not going to make you. God's not going to make you act like him. He says, I want you to because now you can because the spiritual blindness has been lifted. The covering has been unveiled. It's there. Now you, can, now you can live the divine nature. Now you can grow the seed. And you can be more like me. Before you couldn't. It's a choice. He says it's not enough for you just to sit in the pews every Sunday now that you're born again. Because what, listen, teaching moment, what happened on the cross was too valuable. It meant too much. There was a huge debt that had to be paid and it's been paid. College right now. I put five kids to college and my wife. She helped. I don't mean to sound like I did it all, but average cost for a small private college forty thousand dollars a year. Forty thousand dollars a year. Take that times four years. What's that? One hundred sixty thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. And by God's grace, we've been able to come up with that. God has come up with ways to say, hey, we want Katie and Justin and Caleb and Hunter and Ashley to go to college. And he provided a way for that to happen. He was able to somehow help the way that the debt was taken care of. Now, that being said, as mom and dads, we don't want to hear from our kids. They're partying. They're drinking. They're not going to class. They're skipping school. They're not studying. They're getting C's and D's instead of A's because they don't want to make the effort. Why? Because it's $40,000 a year. And until you and I understand the true cost, 
Peter says, I want you to understand the true cost of what Jesus did on the cross. Then maybe, then maybe you'll be motivated to study. Does that make sense? The, the, Peter's trying to show us. He says, I want you to have a true understanding of the debt that Jesus paid. And if it helps to use the college scenario, because to be honest with you, I've had some kids that don't want to study, they don't want to do it. It makes you mad. What kind of respect is that? When you've been given, your debt has been paid. Don't, you, don't we owe it to Jesus to try? Shame on you if you don't. I'm sorry I'm passionate about that. Shame on you if you don't at least try to carry some of that debt. And that debt was way higher than $40,000 a year. He said, you want to grow the seed? You want to be more like me? He says, first thing you need to understand is have an awareness of the debt that has been paid for your benefit. All of it's been paid. He says, I want you to begin to walk in virtue and holiness and moral excellence. Secondly, add to that knowledge. Why? Because the more knowledge that we get, knowledge is, faith is not blind. Faith is not blind. It must be informed. And the more we learn, the more excellence we can offer. The more we learn about God, the more knowledge we get. And I got this highlighted, I think. Uh, Yeah. The Greek word used here, specifically used here, to mean knowledge is epignosis. E-P-I-G. N-O-S-I-S. It's a Greek word. Epicognosis. What does it mean? Authentic knowledge of God. Specifically, if you go to the Webster's Dictionary, it will say precise and correct knowledge as seen in the New Testament. Interesting. Epignosis. The world's definition even says this is the knowledge we're being referred to in the New Testament. Precise, accurate, true, absolute knowledge. That's the knowledge that Peter's talking about. He says the more knowledge you have of God, and you can get knowledge through songs, through TV, through His Word, through prayer, through going to church. It's just like, hey, I, I read something this week. I loved it. I'm going to use it because I just happen to remember it. So I forgive me if it's silly. But you know what? People have said, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You don't. And you don't have to go home to be married. Now, how does that relationship look? Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Two married people live together. Right? It's going to be a tough relationship. If one of them is never home. So you choose. Ouch. God says, I want a relationship with you. And to develop that virtue, that moral excellence, you need more knowledge. Your knowledge is not blind. It's absolute. It's true. And he says, and part of getting that knowledge is the next one. Self-control. Self-control, add the, add the self-control to the knowledge because the more knowledge you get, the more you're going to realize that less things you know. 
and the more that God knows. And this takes self-control. Self-control. Holding on to oneself is what it means. Hold on. It's used in reference to athletes that had to maximize their skill to be able to be the best at what they were doing. The best of the best of the best. And you're to add whatever you need to stay focused. Add whatever you need to stay focused. Okay? And don't lose focus. Why? Because without self-control, you lose focus, and that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to erode. He wants you to lose focus. He wants you to get off the tracks. He wants you to lose track of where you're going. God says, I want you to live a life of virtue, moral excellence. I want you to have knowledge of me, not just simple knowledge, but I want you to have a master's degree in sainthood. I want you to be specific. I want you to have knowledge, a true knowledge of God. And I want you to then exercise self-control because with knowledge comes I'm going to pat myself on the back. Oh, I'm so smart. Exercise self-control. Recognize where your smarts come from. Recognize where every breath you take comes from. Recognize where every cloud, every tree, every morsel of food you have, every relationship you have, everything that goes on is by the grace of God. And he says, and, and, and this, these are all in order for a reason. Next is self, self-control. The next is an add to self-control, perseverance. Why? Because we tend to get down. We tend to lose focus. And he says, listen, just when you're about to lose things, hang in there. That's what perseverance means. Hang in there. Don't give up. Hang in there. I got news for you. The worst things get... Oftentimes in the Bible, this is what we see the worst things get. Think about Moses. Think about Abraham. Think about Paul. Think about Noah. Think about, you can think about Job, any of them. The worst things get, what happens? The closer you are to him. He said, so when you're about to give it up, when you're about to throw in the flag, to throw up your hands, he says, hang on. Persevere because it's about to get good. He said, your seeds are growing now. I see arms and I see fingers. I see a little head pop up. I can even tell if it's a girl or a boy. He said, man, you're growing now. You're having problems. Hang in there. Persevere. Keep the knowledge. Whew. Good stuff, huh? And then he tells us godliness. And he breaks it into two areas. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. That means taking care of our Christian brothers and sisters. I'll make the switch because we're running out of time. We're on the same team. Sometimes the way to get out of your funk, to get out of your situation, as hard as it may seem, if you're struggling with depression, find another brother or sister who's struggling with depression and ministry. If you're struggling in your relationships with your marriage or friends, find somebody else who's struggling in the relationship with their marriage or friends and minister to them. You find somebody in our congregation who just, who just has, has perhaps uh, dealt with a loss in the family and you've dealt with a loss, minister to them. Be there for them. That's brotherly kindness. That's brotherly love. Sisterly love. Taking care of each other. Oftentimes, the way we can get out of our 
funk, if you will, our depressive state is by ministering to others. As hard as it is, as difficult as it is, okay? When you don't want to pray, pray. When you don't want to praise Him, praise Him. When you don't want to go to church, go to church. When you don't want to go visit Him, you go visit Him. Last thing. That's for the people on our team. Then He says, not just brotherly kindness, but what? Charity. Love. That means, look around you. There's some people you don't like. And you're to love them. And you're to attract them. And you're to pay attention to them. You don't have to be of the world, but you're in the world. And let you be the leader. You bring them to church. You tell them about Jesus. You be the one. You be the example. All these things here, if you're doing all these things, man, you are the example. You're best. Why? He says, listen, when you come to this point, where you can love the enemy, now you understand the magnitude of the debt that I paid. Because you're doing what Jesus did. He says, yet while they were still sinners, God died for them. But we have this attitude of, well, when they're nice to me, I'll be nice to them. If Jesus had that idea, we'd all be in hell without any hope for anything or anybody. Think played games while he was hanging on the cross. They laughed at him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Put a robe on him. He says, you're the king of the Jews. They spit on him. They beat him. They tortured him. They did all these things. And when we can understand the magnitude of what Jesus did for us, then it's not so hard. And when we're living this way, God looks down on us and says, they finally get it. And then he really grows that seed. Now the seed starts to get hair on its head, eyebrows, fingernails, starting to develop into a real human being. Do you see? These six or seven things that Peter tells us to develop the divine nature which our souls will fight. We'll fight with. Because now we've got something new to deal with. But it's up to you to make the decision to allow the Spirit to work in you. Okay? We'll continue this next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I hope, Lord, that it was simplified so that we can understand it. There's so many powerful things and lessons in your word today. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Peter and his lessons. For his very word, Lord, it teaches us about knowledge and perseverance and self-control and virtue and moral excellence and Brotherly love and charity. Giving love where it's not deserved. That's why it's called charity. I'm doing something charitable. Love. True expression of love is to love our enemy as we love ourselves. When we get there, when we get there, Lord, grow us. Grow us, grow us, grow us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.